1: Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. From KMOX Sports. The young
2: swings and that's a high fly ball. Pelicans win! Pelicans win! This is Sports Open Line.
3: It's a grand slam! Touchdown!
1: On America's Sports Voice, KMOX.
3: On a Tuesday night, we welcome you into Sports Open Line here on KMOX. My name's Matt Pauley. It's going to be a fun two hours as the news of the day. Scott Rowland is a Hall of Famer. He has been selected for induction into the Baseball Hall of Fame. He gets just enough votes to be able to get in. You need 75% of the votes to get in. He comes in at 76%, so he just barely clears the hurdle that he needs to but it doesn't matter all you need is that 75% he gets it and he is a hall of famer and uh, we something that should have we we should have been saying this many years ago i was i've had a bunch of conversation with kevin wheeler about this this is a guy who is a top 5 defensive third baseman of all time top really top 10 offensive third baseman maybe you can argue top 12 offensive third baseman there's There is no doubt that he should have been in already. The fact that he only got 10% of the vote his first year of eligibility, it's a crime. It's an absolute crime, but we don't have to worry about it at this point because he is in. That is all that matters, and uh, we're excited for him. I think Cardinals fans are excited as well. He was asked by Bob Costas on MLB Network if he had made the decision on what uh, what hat he was going to wear when he goes into the Hall of Fame. And that's always a decision. You can go with one of the teams that you played for. You can go with a blank hat. Uh, that's always one of the decisions that that is tough for individuals who are connected to multiple teams. Obviously, he spent time with the Phillies, the Cardinals, the Blue Jays, and the Reds. With all due respect to the Blue Jays and the Reds, I don't think he's going to be considering them. Uh, I would say it's either going to come down to the Phillies, the Cardinals, or going in with the blank uh, the blank hat. I think we can all be hopeful that it is a Cardinal, uh, Cardinal hat. You think about the things that he accomplished. He won a World Series with the Cardinals. He very easily could have been the MVP of that World Series as well. That was the one that David Eckstein was the uh, MVP of not taking anything away from what Eckstein did obviously it was uh, pretty spectacular but he could have easily been the uh the World Series MVP and he wasn't uh his one of his other big uh, accomplishments obviously being the rookie of the year he did that his rookie year with the Philadelphia Phillies so um yeah it's it's just good news it's really good news his numbers stand up I just I don't understand I don't understand why we denigrate really good defensive players. And that's what that's what happens so often when it comes to this process. If you are an elite player at your position, especially when it is a premium defensive position, when it's a shortstop, when it's a third baseman, when it's a catcher, when it's a center fielder, if you are one of the top five to ever do it at your position – and you put up pretty solid offensive numbers over the course of your career, you're a Hall of Famer. You are a Hall of Famer. And we're going to talk more about this later on in the program. One of the things that just absolutely frustrates the living you-know-what out of me is the Hall of Fame process has been hijacked by a relatively small number of Hall of Fame voters who want to put themselves on a pedestal and put their moral beliefs, if that's what you want to call it, uh, into the spotlight. And what we're talking about here is one of the greatest moments a human being will ever have in their life getting told that they have been selected for induction into the Hall of Fame. And, That's a really, really special thing, and there are these people out there, these voters that are out there, and I don't think it's a lot, but it's enough, and when when the barrier for entry is 75%, it doesn't take that many individuals to hijack this whole darn thing because there's going to be people out there who do not believe that Scott Rowland is a Hall of Famer for baseball reasons. I'm going to disagree with them on that. I'm going to disagree in the largest way I possibly can, but I'll respect them at the same time. I'll respect their, their choice to make that, that decision, right? What I don't respect and what there's too much of is these people who have these self-serving, self-righteous takes for whatever reason, and they use the Hall of Fame voting process as a way to push forward some sort of moral narrative. Give me a break. I said this to somebody on Twitter today. I wish I could see inside the hearts of Hall of Fame voters. And when I see some of these ballots that I just shake my head at, what I want to know is, is this really what somebody believes? Is this truly what they believe? And if that's what they believe, again, I might disagree with you i'm I might not might disagree with you I will disagree with you, but I'll respect it be a little bum for you but i'll I'll respect it. but if you're somebody who's doing it just to make a point to get somebody to talk talk about you whatever for whatever reason you're doing it it's wrong it's 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 wrong it's absolutely wrong so it, that frustrates i get frustrated every year on this day. And I mentioned this when I was on with uh, Dave Glover earlier today. It is not the individuals who were everyday baseball beat writers who are doing this stuff. Even the old school guys who have been around forever. The, the writers who have been around the game, who have covered it on an everyday basis, they don't pull this you-know-what. They just don't generally. It's it's the individuals who who are columnists in cities, or get their baseball writer's card in some sort of weird way and are not really part of the game on an everyday basis or haven't been in a really long time. Those are the people. And like, there's, there's individuals I can name. I don't even want to name them. I don't want to give them the – I don't want to put them out there because that's what they're looking for. But I, you can go look at a lot of the public ballots that are out there and you can see some of the ones that are just wild. All right, uh, a lot more on this coming up. We'll take your phone calls, your text messages, and your tweets on it uh, 314. 436-7900, that's how you call, that's how you text. You can also tweet at me, at Matt Pawley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. Uh, We've got a number of guests. We will talk some hockey uh, during this two hours as well today, but we're going to really lock in on a lot of baseball. Uh, Later on this hour, Hannah Kaiser from Yahoo Sports will join us. Up next, Kylie McDaniel from ESPN will join us, and we'll get their takes on uh, Scott Rowland and some of the individuals who did not get in as well. That's all coming up at Sports Open Line right here. Sports Open Line does continue here on KMOX. My name's Matt Pawley. Again, the news of the day. Scott Rowland, a Hall of Famer, the eight-time Gold Glove third baseman, the former Cardinal. He has been selected for induction into the Baseball Hall of Fame. He is the only one to get in. Todd Helton just barely, just barely misses 72.2%. He comes up 11 Votes short of uh, getting in. But Scott Rowland, the former Cardinal, he is in. Right now, very happy to uh, welcome on to the program. He is an ESPN baseball insider. You follow him on Twitter at Kylie MCD. He is Kylie McDaniel. Kylie, thanks so much for uh, taking a little bit of time with us today. How are you?
2: Yeah, thanks for uh, having me on. I had to take a break from writing all these blurbs for my top 100, so uh, look out for that in the next couple weeks.
3: Yeah, what, well, let's start with uh, the, the news of the day. What's your initial reaction to the news that Scott Rowland's a Hall of Famer?
2: Yeah, absolutely a Hall of Famer for me, and I uh, contend. I mean, I will eventually. I'm in the BBWA, so I will eventually have a Hall of Fame vote in what like eight more years. Uh, I'm amazed how these guys like slowly get more votes every year. Like somehow they were doing something on the field to get a little bit better each year. Like. It, That part doesn't make any sense to me. I mean good that Billy Wagner and Todd Helton are getting closer and closer, but Scott Rowland to me seems like an obvious one.
3: Yeah, so I'm with you on that, and I get it. Like if if a lot of people are filling out full ballots and a lot of people are elected in, then there's that case of, well, there's just not enough room for everybody. But that's not the case. Very few people are going in. Scott Rowland in his first year had like 10% of the vote, and now he gets above 75% today. It's it's really weird, especially after that first year. I know some voters don't like uh, voting for guys on their First year of eligibility, which is a weird thing in its sense, but I'm with you. I just I, I don't get the whole process. Yeah, I mean, if you want
4: to
2: make a line where it's like first ballot is a special thing, if you're in the Hall of Fame, you're in the Hall of Fame. We don't have like an inner circle, and so to create an inner circle, we'll have first ballot or unanimous or you know, 90% or, you know, whatever line you want to make. Like, I guess I'm okay with that if you want to create tears to it. I'm, you know, an analytical dork that looks at my spreadsheets all day. It's what I've been doing pretty much the whole winter. Uh, so I get that. But, yeah, just like the slow, like, add 7% every year and then make 7 the last year. It's just like, guys, did you not study for the test? Like, there, there's a deadline where you're not supposed to need to use it.
3: So I'm not trying to get to, like, talk badly about your brethren and the Baseball Writers Association, but do you ever – like you don't have to name names. Do you ever look at ballots and just kinda shake your head and go, What's what's this what's this person doing here? Oh yeah,
2: all the time. Like, especially when I don't have to attach a name to it. But uh yeah, I mean they're they're now it's now very easy on Twitter to see like what the ballots are and like this person voted for this guy last year and now they didn't or now they picked up the voter whatever. And like, I know some of these guys like reasonably well. And the ones that I know uh, generally do a pretty good job. And I like, you know, maybe differences here or there, or, you know, I would have voted for 10 and they voted for eight a couple of years ago and everyone's ballots were full. And it's just like, all right, yeah, I generally agree with them. And then, you know, the wacky ballots tend to be people that I don't know that haven't followed baseball in seven years that, you know, retired or something. And it's just, you know, people no one have heard of that, you know, Again, I don't want to throw any pejoratives around to any certain kind of person, but I think we all can like recognize there's like an 80 year old guy that hasn't been to a game in 10 years and hasn't hasn't covered baseball professionally for a long time. It's like he probably shouldn't be voting. I don't know where to like draw that line mm-hmm. or to strip someone's vote because he's not at the park enough. Like I don't want to be that hardo telling everybody what's what, but that seems kind of silly.
3: Yeah, it, it does. I don't know what the answer is. I, I do know there's certainly, and you know what, to, to baseball's credit and the Hall of Fame's credit, you know, whether it's the Eras Committee and some other stuff going on, it does feel like they're doing some things to make sure that if you should be a Hall of Famer at some point in time, you will get in.
2: Yes, and the thing that bothers me is I, I mean, you look at like the uh, we had uh, Oscar nominations announced today, and the idea that like there's like a narrative and there's like campaigning and all that, like it's art. So like I understand that people aren't always going to agree with it, and it's going to seem sort of hard to like wrap your arms around. Where baseball is like the most analytical of all the sports. Like it should not be different. And even if you're talking about like offensive linemen from the, you know, the eighties in the NFL hall of fame, I understand that like most of these people voting uh, don't really understand how good an offensive lineman was or how to quantify it. Was he better than this guy or that guy. Like I can understand the need for like some of these, you know, narratives and campaigning and things having some place in this, but like baseball, it's like really easy to tell if a guy's good enough or not. And people are still like just waiting years and years and years and doing all the like silly campaigning and gaining momentum and whatever and it's just like guys it shouldn't be this hard but i guess that's that's the world we live in yeah so I even mean, people that you think aren't smart enough or aren't doing it the right way
3: did you do the thing where you looked at the ballot and you basically did it in your mind where who you would have voted for if you would have had a vote this year
2: uh i hadn't just because the hall of fame in general is not super interesting to me for the same reasons i'm describing where like yeah. people that should be in art and some people that you know uh shouldn't be R, and you know what's the cutoff and what does hall of fame mean and the same way like mvp discussions or you know just kind of wrote to me that it's just like everyone's going to yell and argue and they're just you know they end up defending the guy that's like in their hometown or plays for their team or whatever like it just it's a thing like that but yeah i mean if you want to go down the ballot i think there's probably a lot of like pretty easy yeses and no's and i think most of the right guys that should be getting votes are either in or are kind of moving in the direction toward the, they'll be in
3: Kylie McDaniel's continuing to, or Kylie McDaniel, excuse me, is continuing to uh, join us from uh, ESPN. You mentioned your top hundred. Is that going to be out mid February again this year? Is that about the day timeline for that? Uh,
2: early, early February. I don't know if we've announced the date. I, I know. I think it's the first week, uh, which is why I'm trying to turn the whole thing in by tomorrow. But I'm already in like twenty thousand words, about halfway through. So I'm trying to trying to get to the end here. <laughs> so you, I assume you start at one and go from there. Yes, I used to uh, I don't know there's something about the way my brain works. Sometimes I like to do the first five guys and then go do like the back ten guys because I tend to not write as much about the guys at the end. Uh, but I've noticed sometimes that I will like write number 100 and then reference number 100 on the next one I write which is number thirty and I start bouncing around and then I realize I'm like people can't possibly read it in the order that I'm doing it and so now I'm intentionally going front to back so that you know if number 37 references number 35 it actually reads like start to finish and if it, you know if there's a guy that's referenced that you haven't read you can see kind of what I'm referring to I really think it's pretty a better uh, reading experience I
3: right, so I want people to read it I want people to be a subscriber to ESPN plus like I am so they can go through uh, the entire thing, I'm going to ask you a question that you might not answer. Where do you have Jordan Walker?
2: Uh, I'll answer that one. I don't, okay. I don't mind giving away one specific round. Okay. I, I have him at 14, which I think is oh. probably on the low end of yeah. what most people have. But I also have, I think, I think there's a pretty clear one, two, like everybody has one order or the other. Uh, and then I think three through like 18 or 20. It's just a group of guys that you just kind of put them in whatever order based on, like, what you value. And I tend to be the kind of guy, and I think the guys that I talk to the most in baseball tend to be the kind of guy that if you have a right-right hitter that might not have a ton of defensive value, the margin for error is so small. Uh, if you look at the expectations for Spencer Torkelson with the Tigers and Andrew Vaughn with the White Sox that haven't quite lived up to it, if you're just, like, one notch worse than people think at the plate, you don't have a lot of ways to recoup that value. Uh, And so I think Walker, while it looks like he will be a pretty good, maybe even average, maybe a little above average corner outfielder, that's a new thing now. Uh, And there's a chance he ends up being a first baseman. And so just because of that, uh, I end up rounding down on him. But the difference between the guys I have ranked fifth and 15th is like very, very small.
3: Is he your highest rated Cardinal? If he's not, you don't have to tell me who he is, but is he your highest rated Cardinal? He is, yeah. Okay. I, th- I think he's pretty clearly the best prospect they have. I mean, you could have gone a Mason Wynn or a Gordon uh, Graceffo in there if you really wanted to think outside the box, right?
2: I've been writing blurbs about them in the last couple of days as a, as a bit of a teaser, I guess. So, yes, I've been, I've been thinking about these guys a lot. But yeah, I, I I wouldn't say it's like irresponsible to say anyone else. But I think Jordan Walker, because there's, I mean, I'll also say like some of the stuff that he does, I, the, I think the, at the selling point, if you're bullish on Walker is, oh, he's going to be average or a little better playing right field and there's a chance he might hit 30, 35, 40 home runs one day. And he's essentially big league ready uh, and has always produced. And like the list of guys that can do those things is like very short. And so if you want to, you know, imagine that he's going to be, you know, a version of Pete Alonso at the plate, like that's inbounds. And there's like six guys in the minors where like that's possible essentially. And so the fact that he's on that list, like, you can get excited, and like, could he end up being like C.J. Cron? Like, yeah, that's the reason you get a little nervous about guys that are, you know, the right-right power hitter. Where it's like, eh, if it turns out he just hits 250 and plays first base, isn't that great at first base? then like, that's that's the downside. That's what that's what could happen, and that's obviously like a pretty big uh, gap of things that could happen.
3: Is Mason Win a shortstop at the big league
2: level? Uh, I think so, yeah. I'm still sort of entranced by the idea that, like, uh, I don't think a lot of people know. He, like, literally has two 70-grade pitches on the 20 to 80 scale where 80 would be, like, Craig Kimberl's fastball, he has 270-grade pitches. Like he <laughs> could be a legitimate closer, like Ryan Helsley quality closer and like he's thrown one professional inning. <laughs> the idea that that guy could be like an everyday shortstop, even an above average everyday shortstop, maybe even before the end of the season, uh he could be that good. And also he could be like an all-star level reliever if he ever spent any time focusing on that. Huh.
3: That's interesting. Uh, Really appreciate you uh, taking some time. We're talking with uh, Kylie McDaniel from uh, ESPN, ESPN Baseball Insider. His top 100 will be out very, very soon. He's working on a deadline, and he found some time for us. Kylie, thank you uh, so much for, uh, for your thoughts today. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Awesome. Kylie McDaniel from ESPN joining us here on Sports Open Line. When we come back, we'll continue to talk baseball. Hannah Kaiser from uh, Yahoo Sports will be with us. She had a really interesting uh, piece about some of the rule changes, specifically the throwing over to first. Uh, we'll talk to her about that and also the Hall of Fame stuff from today. It's all coming up as we continue on with Sports Open Line right here on KMWX.
1: ESPorts Sports Open Live. On America's Sports Voice. What's down? Kansas City. KMOX.
3: We do continue on here on a Tuesday night. Big news today. Former Cardinal third baseman Scott Rowland selected for induction into the Baseball Hall of Fame. He is the only one uh, to get in in terms of the baseball writers' ballot. He will head in with uh, Fred McGriff, who was selected on the Eras Committee around the time of the winter meetings. Right now, very happy to uh, welcome on. She's one of my favorite baseball writers out there from a national standpoint. I love the stuff uh, she writes about and uh, some of the – Different kind of looks that she takes at the game of baseball. She covers baseball for Yahoo Sports. She is a Hannah Kaiser. You follow her on Twitter at uh, Hannah R-K-E-Y-S-E-R. Hannah, thank you so much for taking some time today. How are you?
5: That was such a nice introduction, although I have to differ. As someone who was uh, born and raised in the Philadelphia area, Scott Rowland is a Phillies. Oh, Not a Cardinals baseman.
3: <laughs> so that he I believe he was asked by Bob Costas on MLB Network if you know about the about the cap that he was going to go in. he, he uh, won the rookie uh, am of the I year. To be with, yeah, well, he hasn't said yet. He says he's going to take some time. He wins the uh, rookie of the year with the Phillies, wins a World Series with the Cardinals where he could have easily been the MVP. That was the David Eckstein year, but uh, I I think it's going to be interesting to see which one he goes with. That
5: was that rookie of the year season was When I was seven years old and I feel like your favorite player when you're seven is really, I can't envision him wearing any other cap.
3: Are we going to have to like check on you if he chooses the Cardinals? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, We've got your number now. I'll make sure that you are doing okay. We'll do a welfare check if there's a, if you go, we can, we can both agree he's not going to go in as a blue Jay or a red, right?
5: I saw that the blue Jays, he wanted to talk to fans of all four of his teams and I was like, this the fourth team? And it was the Blue Jays. So sorry <laughs> for
3: them. <laughs> is he a Hall of Famer? Do you agree with that?
5: I so I'm like a radical small hall person and so I thought no one was going to get in because I I just it but but Scott Rowland, if anyone, for me. Like I just I think I think it's all become too we could talk about this some other time. I have a whole a whole theology around this, which is like it shouldn't be so difficult to know who's a Hall of Famer. It should be the, the people who you know are Hall of Famers.
3: Hmm. You just invited you know? yourself back on, which is really good, by the way, because we can't have this conversation. <laughs> so that makes me happy. The the original reason I reached out to you, I loved what you wrote about the strategy for pickoffs, because the rules coming in this year, where you can attempt two pickoffs, and then if you don't, or if you're not successful in the third one, the runner gets to advance a base. And you talked to, to a lot of people, and the, the strategies on both sides, like from a runner standpoint after the throw over twice, but from a pitching standpoint as well, thinking that that runner might be more aggressive. How excited? I'm not trying to take everything away from uh, from what you wrote, and I want people to read it. But are you excited to watch kind of this new thing happening in baseball with these new? rules?
5: I really am. So I wrote about, you know, I think people can get a little tired of the rule conversations, especially at this national level, because it feels like they're all things that have been tested for a while. We've seen them in the Atlantic League and then in the minor leagues. And so I was not super excited about the rule changes. And then this story came about because at the winter meetings, you know, managers are talking a lot about rule changes because they're getting asked about it a lot. And one of the things that I noticed was multiple managers brought up this specific sort of pickoff element of the pitch clock as something that would really impact their job day to day because, you know, there's only the shift rule. Okay, so don't stand where you're not allowed to stand. And the bigger bases, they don't do anything with that or whatever. But a couple of managers mentioned, you know, they're going to have to talk to their pitchers in spring training about varying their deliveries without making them too slow. And, you know, what kind of pickoff moves are most effective. And then this strategy element of what do you sort of, what do you as a manager tell your base runners in terms of what's a good time to run? Is it after one pickoff throw? Is it after two pickoff throws? Is it before he has any pickoff throws? Cause he's maybe already concerned about them and, and sort of on the flip side, what are pitching coaches telling their, their pitchers in terms of should you throw over back to back if It's if a guy steals second, that is still the same at bat, And you've lost your pickoff throws, you know, when he was trying to get to second, how to handle that. So I found that really that made me more excited to see um, the strategic element in play. I'm really interested in general in these in these rule changes, both the ones that we're getting and then um, perhaps even more impactfully the the. ABS, the automatic ball strike, robo zones—that could be coming. I'm really interested in just sort of watching teams adapt to them. I know that MLB has uh, intended effects that they want. You know, they want more action, they want faster games, potentially even more stolen bases, and I think that is probably a better brand of baseball. But, but more than anything else, I just I think it's really interesting to see um, how teams adapt because I think baseball has gotten to this kind of stale point because of how smart front offices are. But I don't I don't think we should be upset that front offices are so smart or sort of demonize the idea of smart people in baseball, but rather I just think they should be given a new challenge and I'm excited to see what they do with that.
3: Something that got brought up that I had not really considered or thought of that I found to be incredibly compelling. Was the idea because generally we think about these rules. Well, you can throw over there twice, and you're probably not going to throw over a third time because you give away a base. But what was brought up in your piece was just throwing over there once. By keeping that second one in your back pocket just in case the game kind of speeds up on a pitcher or something, it allows them the opportunity to step off. And I never once thought about that. And so I'm I'm now incredibly curious to see not just how often is someone going to throw over twice, but how often is it going to be just throwing over once and then being done with it?
5: Yeah, I mean, I, I asked one of the uh, minor league managers that I spoke to, you know, were your pitchers anxious? And he said, Oh, I didn't ask though if they were anxious. He's like, They're so anxious already. I didn't want to bring it up, but I'm anxious watching them in the dugout. And it's true. I think we don't realize, um, you're right, that it's the reason these rules go hand in hand, or this rule goes hand in hand with the pitch clock is because it's sort of designed to keep the game moving and to keep the pitcher from, you know, stalling on the mound, which on the whole makes total sense. But, right, there's going to be these moments where a guy gets a little flustered, or, or yeah, like he can't catch his breath or something, and he 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 really does maybe need a couple more seconds than the pitch clock will allow him, and that's when they're going to use those step offs, not just to sort of control the running game.
3: What do you think's going to happen more often: a player being awarded a base on a third pickoff throw that's unsuccessful, or uh, a player a, a runner being so aggressive off the bag that they do get picked off on that third throw?
5: Oh, that's a great question honestly i think it's going to be the second one which is the most unexpected version just because i think that um i think runners will pretty quickly kind of settle into whatever it is that makes the most sense with these new rules you know what i mean that like it'll sort of stabilize again um, you know, what's the, the runners who are fast enough to, to get there with that extra jump will start stealing more and everybody else won't. But I think there'll be this sort of adjustment period at the beginning where everyone is more aggressive on the base paths. And that'll be a chance for pitchers to, to catch some guys, uh, creeping a little too far off first.
3: She's Hannah Kaiser. She writes for uh, Yahoo Sports. You should read everything she writes because she's awesome, and she's joining us right now. Hannah, thank you so much for for your time, and uh, we will do that welfare check when we find out that Scott Rowland is going in as a Cardinal.
5: Well, I'm happy for the Cardinals fans as well.
3: (laughs) Thanks so much. Awesome. There's Hannah Kaiser joining us here on Sports Open Line, and we appreciate her taking uh, some time with us uh, this evening. She is great. I'm not just saying that because she was able to hear me. Uh, I really like the stuff she writes and she looks at the game a little bit. I love people who look at the game a little differently. And, like, the, that piece specifically, um, I, it, may, it forced me into thinking about two things about the rule changes that I had not thought about. I mentioned the one not throwing over a second time because you want to be able to give the pitcher the opportunity to step off if they need it. That had never once even started to creep into my mind. You think about it where the runner doesn't get a base until the third throw. So you think about how you can just do two throws as often as you want, and then you got to start making decisions. Well, there's going to be some out there that say you need to make start making that decision after one throw. I thought that was interesting. And then just the fact that in the minor leagues – there have been, uh, there's, a, there, there's numbers to back up the fact that you are going to see runners getting really aggressive off the bag after the second throw over, that that's going to present a really, really great opportunity to pick a runner off. You know that if you throw over and you're not successful, you're going to give away the bag. You get it. Runners go into second if that happens. Uh, if you throw it to first and you don't get them. But runners being so... Aggressive and so far off the bag at first after two throws. Uh, just the idea that we are going to because my before reading that, I would have told you more often than not, we are going to see a runner get awarded a base for a pickoff throw that's not correct and not not on, not not successful would be the better way to say that. After reading that. I sit there and say, well, maybe that's not the case. Maybe we are going to see more runners getting picked off on a third throw than you would uh, expect going into the season so uh, great stuff and would encourage you to read uh, everything that Hannah wrote about it at Yahoo Sports we will take a break we're gonna shift gears for a little bit we'll talk some blues hockey uh, we'll hear some of the uh, audio from uh, earlier today at morning skate uh, we'll do that next and then uh, right after the uh, seven o'clock news uh, Mike Kelly not Missouri Mike Kelly but Mike Kelly from NHL Network will join us so uh, we'll uh, we'll come off baseball for just a few minutes and then we'll jump into uh, we'll jump into hockey and then get back Back to baseball later on in the program. It's Sports Open Line right here on KMOX. Sports Open Line does continue here on KMOX. Talking a lot of baseball today with the news that Scott Rowland has been selected for induction into the baseball hall of fame was talking about the cap and which cap he's going to choose. Got a text message from the three, one, four saying, I thought the hall of fame picks the cap to, and that people can't pick their own. So if there's, if there's a, uh, an argument about it, the hall of fame can impose their will. And the final decision does come down to the hall of fame, but generally it is a, uh, a collaborative conversation. And I, if, if Roland goes in and he has a very, very strong preference on Cardinals or Phillies, I don't see the Hall of Fame stepping in and saying, no, you can't do that. Now, with all due respect to our good friends north of the border, if Scott Roland was to walk in and say, I want to go in as a member of the Toronto Blue Jays, the the Hall of Fame might say, ah. We're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. So as long as there's some logic and some common sense to it, I don't think the Hall of Fame is ever going to step in and say no, even though they do have full control on it. If you remember, like when when the the then Devil Rays, now Rays, first came into existence and they were bringing in guys like Wade Boggs and, and other people, one of the things that they were trying to do was bring those players in with an agreement that they would go into the Hall of Fame with the with the Tampa logo on their cap and the Hall of Fame stepped in and said no that that can't be part of the deal. That's not something that you can uh, promise anybody. All right, uh, more baseball coming up uh, next hour. We're going to step away from baseball for just a little while, talk some hockey. Blues are back at tonight. They are wrapping up their seven-game homestand as they take on the Buffalo Sabres. Puck drop is in about 10 minutes over at the uh, Enterprise Center. Craig Berube spent some uh, time talking to the media uh, during just after morning skate today. And uh, the very, very, very good news for the Blues Tori Krug, Vladimir Tarasenko, Logan Brown. We're going to see all of them on the ice tonight.
4: All in. Yeah, they're all back. Keith, what does it mean to get a couple better in his Well, yeah, you know, obviously uh, Krug and Tarasenko have been good players for us, and they've been out quite a while, but um, it's good to have them back. Um, Both are players that can provide different things, offense, power play, scoring. Puck movement, things like that. So they're good players for us.
3: So we spend a lot of time talking, obviously, about Krug and Tarasenko, but uh, Brown, obviously, is somebody that maybe we don't spend as much time talking about, but maybe we should be.
4: Well, I mean, he's got to stay healthy, first of all. I think he, you know, he's been um, injured most of the season. So, you know, if you go back to last year, um, I guess the last month or two, he. You know, he had a pretty good impact on our team playing uh, pretty consistent hockey, and it was just, you know, strong on pucks, and he's got good offensive abilities, uh, good hands, and things like that. Um, you know, he's just got to get back to that. Uh, that. He played pretty consistent for us, and you know, it's just strong on pucks again, just doing his doing his job in his own end, uh, being good defensively, and being strong in battles. That's the biggest thing for him, I think. You know. Got to get his feet going. You know, when he gets a puck touch, get your feet going right there. He's a big guy. You know, got to get his feet going and just be strong on the puck and um, try to get to the offensive zone and do his thing.
3: One player who is not going to be on the ice tonight for the Blues, is Pavel Buchnevich. he has been placed on injured reserve. He had what uh, Barubi referred to as a minor surgical procedure. He's got an infection to his ankle. That If you've got an infection and it requires surgery, again, I'm probably overstating things in a big, big way. And hockey players are super, super tough, tougher than I am. Uh, But an infection that requires a surgical procedure sounds absolutely horrible. And uh, you hope that he's going to be able to get back uh, sooner than later. Uh, But, yeah, ee infection, needing a surgical procedure that just does not sound good. They're going to uh, match up against Buffalo tonight. So what do they need to do to come away with a victory?
4: Well, we can't just, we can't, they're a very good rush team. We can't give them odd man rushes and we got to try to limit their rush attack as much as we can and being above them. You know, we got to check well tonight um, and we got to be physical. Uh, if you're not going to take the body on T.H. Thompson or Dalene or Tuck and these guys, they're they have high-end ability that can make you pay, so we got to be hard on them. We got to be in slow. We got to be on top of them as much as we can and slow them down and make it a difficult night. And obviously, you know your puck play is going to be big because if you turn pucks over and you you make bad puck plays in the offensive zone, they're gone the other way real quick. And you know their D are very active, obviously with Dalene and Powers. They they get up the ice quick, so. We've got to be uh, smart that way.
3: When you look at this current homestand, I think it's been more good than bad. It opened up with back-to-back games against Calgary. They got a 4-3 overtime win and then ended up uh, losing 4-1 in the second game. So they split that back-to-back. They had a loss against Tampa Bay. At the time, Tampa Bay was just playing great hockey. Came back with back-to-back wins against Ottawa and Nashville. The disappointing result was their last game the game that they end up losing to Chicago 5-3. Chicago is horrendous. You, As you are trying to lift yourself up in the standings, trying to climb that ladder, whatever sports cliche you want to use, that's the game on Saturday against Chicago. You just can't lose that game. But they're going to try to win tonight and uh, put kind of a um, a good finishing touch on this seven-game homestand, even though there is one more game to go before all is said and done. Baruby uh, was asked how he would grade out uh, this current homestand.
4: Some real good stuff and not so good stuff. You know, obviously the last game is disappointing. We all know that. Um, uh, you know, so I think we... we, we we take some good stuff out of it, but also, um, I find that we just we let some games slip away. In my opinion, we they're right there, and um, the, you know uh, the home stem wasn't good enough in the end. But we're, we've got a game tonight here. We can um, do a good job here tonight and get a win. And that's what we got to focus on. I can't focus on what has already happened. I'm just focusing on tonight's game before we go on the road.
3: Yeah, they've. You look at the standings and you look at the task in front of them of trying to build themselves up. If if the season were to end right now, the Colorado Avalanche would not be a playoff team. Colorado's going to be in the playoffs. Uh, I, I have no doubt, no doubt in my mind, that Colorado is going to get into the playoffs. So they're on the outside looking in. So if you go with, with my assumption that Colorado is a playoff team, what the Blues essentially have to not just move into playoff position, but they're going to have to move two teams out of current playoff position. Right now, Edmonton and Calgary are the two wild card teams, uh, Minnesota and Los Angeles are the two third place teams in the respective divisions. They've got work in front of them. Calgary is the last team into the playoffs right now. 55 points, 48 games played. The Blues have 49... Check that, Calgary at 55 points, 48 games played. Uh, The Blues are at 49 points, so they're six points behind with one less game played. They've got work to do. Mike Kelly covers uh, the NHL for NHL Network. He is going to join us. That's after the 7 o'clock news, which starts in about three minutes right here on KMOX.